But what we'll do is we'll kind of go backwards and forwards between stories, music, singing, Divitara, Lachaims. Everyone is welcome to put in your you know, favorite Torah, Vachanaka. You know, so I'm going to start with, with one of my absolute favorite stories in general and one of my favorite stories of Shlomo. And it's always best when like, you were witness to the actual story. It's not something you're hearing, hearing secondhand. So stories like this, you might have heard this before, some of you, but it's worth retelling, is uh, every year uh, Rav Shlomo would make it to the Masha for Hanukkah. One way or another, he would make it for Hanukkah. Not, not necessarily the whole Hanukkah, but every year. And this went on for, I don't remember, seven, eight, nine years. And in one year, he, he calls me for Hanukkah and he says, Chavra, I can't make it this year. Like, I'm totally booked with concerts. I really feel bad, but I, I can't make it. Okay, what are you going to do? So halfway through Hanukkah, uh, we get a call saying, you won't believe what happened. I'm in uh, Vienna, and for some crazy reason, the, the concert was canceled. <clears throat> tonight, and then tomorrow night I have to be someplace else, but I have tonight open. He said, I'm jumping on the next plane. You know, please pick me up at the airport. This is what time I'm coming in. And uh, tell everyone to come. And then I have to leave at like 6 in the morning. So he comes in, at, it must have been 9 or 10 at night. And we had all worked all day. We all had little kids. And by 10 o'clock, you know, <laughs> sometimes in the, in the winter, you're like, you're ready to go to sleep. And he's just arriving, right? So we, we go down to the Cheder Ochel. Those were the days there was no heat down there. There was... Mud puddles everywhere. So, so anyways, so he, he sets up his Hanukkah on the table. And truthfully, there are not that many people there. There's mostly just the Moshe people. And, you know, half of them are asleep already. But there was, okay, there was a nice crowd, but it wasn't like a, a huge crowd. So he, he, takes, he sets up his candles, and he takes his guitar, and he says, you know, I came like all the way here just to do this mitzvah. We better make it good. <laughs> like he put the pressure on <laughs> Okay, so he starts, you know, he starts singing, he starts teaching, and... Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not exaggerating. It's now like 1 or 1.30 in the morning. He hasn't lit the candles yet. He's like like working himself up to light the candles. So finally, after a couple of hours of singing and teaching, so he said, I think I'm ready. So he, he lights the candles and you know, some more singing and more teaching. It's now like three o'clock in the morning. And he says, you know, I, I think I need to sleep for like an hour or two. Who's taking me to the airport? I can, you know, wake me up in like an hour and a half. 
and it was, it was like three in the morning, and everyone is going home. So the, the, the candles were still burning, and I went up to him, and I said, "Rav Shlomo, was it worth it?" And he looked at me like with a, like a sparkle in his eye, and he says, "Oh, was it worth it?" Like the way he said that, I'll never forget. He said, "Oh, was it worth it?" And like you could tell, he absolutely meant it, you know, a hundred percent, hundred percent. So like, I really learned the worth of a mitzvah. Mm. <laughs> you know, we hear there, there are many stories of, of of rabbis who would stand by their Hanukkah also for hours before they would light, and then certainly after they would light, you know, they would just stand or sit by their Hanukkah like the whole night. One of them played a violin. What? One of the rabbis used to play yeah. the violin. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of them yeah. 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 So, but so you hear those stories, and it's, okay, so they, they stood there for half an hour, like, and then you know, kind of a couple hundred years later, they're saying three hours. But then when you see, kind of like with your own eyes, it's like then it makes all the other stories real. Makes all the other stories real. And, and why after Hanukkah did he want to come to the Mosh? Because it's just, it's, it's the home of the Maccabees. I was like, that's that's the whole thing. Okay, l'chaim, l'chaim, l'chaim. Very nice. When you think about what the Maccabees accomplished, it was just. One little family just turned the whole tide. It changed everything. Okay, so let's do some music. The Hanan always saved the Jewish people. Hmm? The Hanan always saved. Well, have a representative, right? No, from a coin. As you take a
חיים, החיים, החיים. Long time. Yeah. <laughs> 1968. Not quite. That wasn't that the instrument Rabbi Shankar played? No, sitar. I was sitar. Halavai, I could play a sitar. I was really Okay, so the first thing I want to say is when we light the candles, we say Hanero Talalu. These candles, Kodeshem, they're holy. And Ein, Ein Lanu Rishul, Ishtamesh, Behem, Ela Lirotam Bilvad, Kedei Lahodot, Lahalel, Lashimcha Gadot. In other words, the lighting of the candles, like the, the, the whole sentence is moving towards in order to praise and, and, and be joyful in His great name. So that's the connection that we say hallow, full hallow for eight days. Today, lahodot u'lahalel. So the word hallel is very close to a word that means light, which is hilo. Or halo is the right. The, the word Hebrew. halo oh, right. comes from hilo. What's the Greek word that's very similar to that? A hilo. A hilo is a lampshade. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So a hilo means a light, like an aura. A hilo is an aura. That's where you get halo. Right. So it's very close. Hilo and halal are very very close. So there's a, a beautiful understanding here is that in the Gemara. It says in the future, after Mashiach comes, all of the mitzvahs will become mevatel. All the holidays, all the mitzvahs will become nullified. It says it, like <laughs> Chazal says it. So, like, so now we have to understand, what does that mean? What does that mean? Because in other places we're told that after Mashiach comes, not one letter of the Torah will be different. Even though it says that a, when Mashiach comes, there will be a new Torah. No, a new song. No, but it says, Torah Chadasha Mi'iti Teitzei. A new Torah from me will go out. So you would think, ah, like a whole new Torah? No, it's exactly the same Torah. But Mashiach will, you know, like, like the Arizal came, or the Baal Shem Tov came, and like just opened up totally new dimensions to understanding it. Then when Mashiach comes, it will be the same Torah, but our understanding of it will be so, so much more profound. It will be like it's a new Torah. So if not one letter is going to change, so how can the Gemara say all the mitzvahs are going to become Mavata? So Rav Ginsburg explains that 
based on the Ariza that in a sense, even though we, we can, it's not wrong to think of a mitzvah as an end in itself, but it's also a means. And the means is, to, is the, the, the end of the mitzvah is what's called simcha shal mitzvah. The joy of the mitzvah. Now, if you do the mitzvah and there's, there's no joy, there's no kavana, there's no spiritual advancement or enlightenment, it doesn't make you a better person, it doesn't make the world a better place. You did the mitzvah, you did the mitzvah, but we certainly can ask, well, what was accomplished here? Okay, we did the mitzvah. So the Ari said that they, all the mitzvahs are, are, are for a, a deeper purpose, which is called Simcha Shal Mitzvah. So that's what it, it means when we say, Hanero um, Talalu, Kedei Lahodot, that's the end of it. After the whole thing, it says, Kedei Lahodot, or the Halel Hashem Chagadot. In order to praise and say Halal to his great name. So that's a good lead in for a Lachaim, because right, the, the Ikar, no, the, really, the Ikar of the light of Hanukkah is to bring us joy. So bring us joy. So Lachaim, Lachaim, Lachaim. Reminds me, I heard from uh, Rev Gardner, uh, Gardner. So he said uh, that with the Rambam, that similarly, like Teshuva, like Rambam describes, you know, the whole Teshuva process. What you have to do, you have to confess your sins and want to change and change everything. But like, but that's the external dimension of it. What's the what's the, what's the means to the end in a way? Like, what's the end with the connection? Is like that internal change, like you become like a new, mm-hmm. a new person. Mm-hmm. I said something like with the shofar, like when you hear the shofar, it's an external thing, but the inner change that happens with that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so. absolutely, absolutely. Okay, the one thing I've been teaching consistently this year and every other year, uh, a very simple uh, message, you heard it last night, and you might have heard it before, but the, it's so important to sit by your candles after you light them and meditate on them. It cannot be emphasized how, what a golden opportunity this is for, for spiritual nourishment, <clears throat> for, for deep, deep joy of looking at the candles, meditating. The, sweat, the way I said it last night is that when you look at the candles, it's a mirror into your own soul. Mm. And then when you look in the mirror of your own soul, then you see the spark of God that is animating your soul. 
That's in the inward. In the outward, when you look at the candles, then the like the bottom line and in in my book on light, this is like written at the end. This is like the kind of like the conclusion that everything works for that ultimately we haven't gotten there yet. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, don't worry, we'll the suspense, it's not a murder. <laughs> that ultimately there is nothing other than the light of God. And that everything we see, everything we experience, everything we go through, all the worlds, all the everything is nothing more than the light of God. Like it says in the Zohar that matter is is condensed or congealed light. Mm. That's what it says in the Zohar. Mm -hmm. That matter is, is oh, excuse me, the, the, the correct word is thickened. Is thickened light. What's the light? word? No, man. No, no, no. I can't remember. Mm. But that's how it's best translated. Mm. Thickened light. Mm -hmm. is, it, is it the vessels or... Is it the same thing as the vessels? No, the ve well, matter are vessels. Okay. But, but vessels are also light. Mm. They're just thick and light. You know, it's, 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 it's interesting that when Hanukkah and the whole, you know, the whole war of Hanukkah was a war of philosophy, you know, against the Greeks. But at the same time, the Greeks understood this concept of what you just said. That matter is condensed light. And because they had a word for it, it's hulia, which in Greek is primal matter. And it just means light. So they understood exactly this point. The matter is condensed light. So they weren't very far off. It was just a fraction off. But they focused on the matter, and we uh, focus on the light. Right, right, right. right. They're into right. form and aesthetic. Right, They're right. Into exactly. 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 That was exactly. not different. Exactly. It was really not a fundamental thing. Exactly. I mean, it really took Einstein yes. to formulate E equals MC squared yes. to, to say the same thing. Uh -huh. That energy equals matter. And matter equals energy. Mm. Matter is light. energy. Light. And what is light. energy? Energy is basically light. 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 And then what is light? Light is divine wisdom. Mm. Yeah. Uh, the in the Chumash when we get to the the uh, ten plagues and Hashem it makes the darkness and they say it's so thick that the Egyptians can't walk through. Is that kind of like the Mida, the Kneged Mida on some level for the for the the Tuma that they brought uh, in, in, into the Jewish lives? I mean, like because you're describing the light as being very thick and material being very mm -hmm. thick. Mm -hmm. But uh, it wasn't describing yeah. light; it's describing the darkness being. Yeah, 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 so yeah, yeah. I was wondering if yeah. there is a connection. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think mm -hmm. the the phenomena that if they were standing up, they couldn't sit down. If they were sitting down, they couldn't stand up because the the light was tangibly heavy. They couldn't move. So that it seems it would be a meta connection, meta of the overemphasis on physicality leads to a dense consciousness, to a, like, 
a weighted down consciousness. Um, that's not actually a mark. Something very interesting yeah. on Right. That, that's a, yeah, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful explanation. Yeah. Where'd you learn that? Yeah. Yeah. Now, if you're not ready for the light, it will appear to you as darkness. Appear to you as darkness, and that's why um, I, I lost my concentration for a second. But maybe you said this. Um, but it, it says, but in all of the houses of the Jews, there was light. You know, it was the same phenomena. It wasn't like it was darkness and then God made it light in the house. It was the same energy, but in the houses of the Jews, it was light, and, and for them, it was darkness. That's why in, um, in Hebrew, please help me, a blind person is called uh, but it's actually Aramaic. Aramaic. Sagin Nahor. Sagin Nahor, which means too much light. The actual words for a blind person in Aramaic means too much light. Or, or we have an expression, blinded by the light. Blinded by the light. Okay, so just to get us into the this meditative mood, so the last um, few nights, actually every night so far, um, we've never done this before. Uh, we've always sat by the candles as quietly and just meditated. And this year, uh, we've been doing it to music. Uh, no words, only instrumental, mellow music. And we put it on and does wonders. It's like really, really something. Highly, um, I highly encourage you. Mm. Like to put on a CD player? Yeah, huh? yeah, a CD. Mm -hmm. oh. mm -hmm.
Welcome everyone. Hello. How are you? Hi, how are you? Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, unbelievable. We're going to Australia. In June, Bizrat Hashem. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so I want to tie Hanukkah to the Parsha. The Parsha Miketz. Chaim, Chaim, Chaim. Another great story. Unbelievable story. This is 1977. And we are, my wife's from Chicago. And we're in Chicago in, I think, January. Unbelievable snowstorm. It's not called the Windy City for nothing. Freezing. The Hawk. What? The Hawk. The Hawk? The Hawk. That's what they call it. Oh, yeah? The Hawk. Okay. No. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so, it just turns out that Reb Shlomo came into Chicago to do a like a little fundraiser, a parlor meeting for for the Moshav, and it was a miracle anyone came out for this. You know, he came all the way in for it, and it was just horrible weather. You know, like a handful of people showed up. And afterwards, we, we went back to his hotel. And the streets were deserted. Like, there was no one crazy enough to be out. It's, it's now like 12 at night. So Rev Shlomo says, I have to have a cup of coffee. <laughs> and for whatever reason, there wasn't room service. Room service is only until a certain time. And all of the, the, the restaurants in the hotel are closed. He says, I have to have a cup of coffee. So he asks at the desk, and they say, Well, there's a 7 Eleven about a half a mile up the road. You can't walk 50 yards now. So he says, Trevor, let's go. <laughs> this is like crazy. We are trudging through this mammoth snowstorm. It's like now, you know, 12.31 in the morning, no one is out, but 7-Eleven is open, right? Now this, you know, this is when they went to be 24 hours a day already. So, we get there, and they have a coffee machine. Rav Shlomo is absolutely besides himself with joy, right? He has his cup of coffee. So he's looking around the rows for some, you know, some snacks to take back to the hotel. I'll never forget this. It was just why I remember such a detail. So he's walking up in the rows and he turns to me and he says, Do you know why Hanukkah almost always comes out Parshat Miketz? So I said, No, tell me. And it just this is this is the funny thing. I happened to I happened to just kind of look at the shelf where we were standing there. I don't know why. And this is the, the most ridiculous thing. We were standing by this row. I've never seen them before or since. It was pickled pig's feet. 
<laughs> Whatever reason. I know stuck. why. I never thought of what? it before. Huh? Because that's what Antiochus wanted that, that you oh, offer that, that's on what? the altar to Zeus oh, in Modi. Oh, oh. oh, so that's it. That's it. Hey, I didn't see him. Come in. <laughs> um, so, anyways, that's where we're standing. And. You know, he does his, like, he starts to, to shuckle in the middle of the row. And, and he says, and he says a very deep Torah. He says, Hanukkah always comes up, Parsha Mikates. Mikates is all about dreams, all about prophetic dreams that come true. And he said, at the time of the Maccabees, the dream of, of an independent Jewish people living in Eretz Israel the dream was about to end. But Matatiyahu refused to stop dreaming. And he had a dream of, of what it's supposed to be like in when, when Jews keep Torah and Eretz Yisrael. And that's what motivated the Maccabees against all odds is because they were driven by this dream by this dream. So truthfully, we can we can just translate it to a hundred years ago, eighty years ago, when Jews first started coming back to Israel. Also, it seemed like an impossible dream, impossible dream. But people were driven. People were driven by a dream, by a vision, by the words of the prophets, the the the, the prophecies of the prophets that we would come back and we would rebuild the land, we would rebuild Yerushalayim, and Jews would come from the four corners of the world, and ultimately that Mashiach would come and it would be a world of peace. And if there's one thing that Rav Shlomo taught us is, you know, always hold on to your dreams. Always hold on to your dreams. So that's a beautiful connection. The other beautiful connection is the following, is when Yosef is brought before Paro, <coughs> he's brought because Paro has dreams. The Torah says there was no one to interpret them. The Rashi tells us a little bit different. Rashi says, no, they did interpret them, but he didn't like the interpretations. So, when you first read that, it sounds like, you know, if they would have said something a little bit better, he would have liked it. But the real secret is, is that sometimes when we dream, along with the dream, we're really given the interpretation. But just like a lot of times when we wake up, we forget our dreams. Even sometimes when we remember the dreams, we forget the interpretation. Like sometimes you wake up, you've had a dream, and it's very clear to you what it means. Like it, it, does, it doesn't take like a, a lot of effort. It's just, oh, I dreamt this because, and that means this, and that means that. Other times we don't have a clue. So we lose the, the interpretation. So when Paro heard what the wise people said, he didn't like them because intuitively he knew that they weren't 
Like he didn't remember the interpretation, but it didn't resonate with him. When Yo- so, the, the the butler says, "Oh, there was this person in jail, and he translated, he interpreted our dreams." So they bring Yosef, and everyone knows the story. So Yosef translates the dreams, and immediately Paro knows that they're right because they ring true to him. Ring true to him. He could have also said, uh, I don't want someone telling me there's going to be seven years of famine. He could have said the same thing about the other dreams. But it rang true to him. But the point I want to get to is, so Yosef was brought there to translate the dreams. But you'll see, as soon as he finishes translating the dreams, he continues talking. And he says, and now Paro should appoint a wise an understanding person to, to uh, be ruler over Egypt who will gather up the grains for seven years and build storehouses and he lays the whole plan in front of him so the question we could ask is knowing how courts used to work there you, you can have your head chopped off for talking out of turn before a king like the king could have, like, in the middle said, um, excuse me, I, you know, I brought you here to interpret my dream, you can, you can go now, dismiss. You can die. Right? Or, if you're, you know, talking out of turn, but Yosef lays out the whole plan, and like I said, we all know the story, Paro says, is there anyone wiser than this person? And two minutes later, he's, like, second in, in, in charge. But the question is, is what... What did Yosef see that he took the risk, not just to interpret the dreams, but to give him advice? Right? Here, this is a person who was just in jail for 12 years. Paul knew he was in jail for 12 years. And now he's giving advice to the king. Yeah. He knew he had to fulfill his dreams with his brothers and, the, and that his father had heard, and that this was the only opportunity that would allow him to fulfill the dreams he had uh, in Eretz Yisrael. That is not the answer I was going to give, but that was, no, but that's an excellent answer, actually. That's an excellent answer. Because Yosef didn't just babble at the mouth. So that, that actually would be a, a very legitimate answer, that that's what he saw, that this was like the opening. But, ah, oh, so, ah, so that connects exactly what I'm saying. Okay. Exactly what he's saying I was just taking it from the, the most common denominator. That what Yosef saw, and you'll see how I'm going to connect it to Hanukkah, it's an obvious connection, is the Hasidic principle is, and Rav Shlomo taught this all the time, when you see the gates opening up in front of you, or as the vernacular term is, when you see opportunity knocking, like, open the door. Or like the Pesishka said, yeah. don't just walk through the right. door, make it wide. Right, right. So that's the second part. So Yosef sees that, obviously, he sees that he has power in the palm of his hand. He sees it. And he sees that the gate is now open. So fling it open all the way. And that's what he did. 
So, and how is that connected to Hanukkah? Is the, the famous question. The famous question is, they come to the temple, they want to rededicate the temple, they clean it, it's all ready to go, and they realize they have no oil for the menorah. Okay, ah, they find one cruise of oil, they know it's only enough for one day. So everyone asks the question, and there are many different answers, but everyone asks the question, why don't they just wait a week till they pressed some oil in the, in the, in the correct manner, and then rededicate the temple the next week? It, it would have been very logical, it would have made sense. Why light the menorah, do a, a dedication of the temple, and then at the next day it runs out, and then people like get discouraged or like, well, why did we do that? We should have waited. <laughs> so it's the same lesson. They saw like, whoa, like the gates are open. We got the temple back. We cleaned the temple. We can dedicate the temple. We have some oil. Let's go for it. Let's go for it. You can translate it one step further. In 1948, so the United Nations, no, actually November of 1947, the United Nations decided there would be a partition, an Arab state and a, a Jewish state, and it would happen the next May. And as soon as they declared that, so basically, a war broke out, and it got worse and worse. The British were trying to leave. It was a total balagan here, a total balagan. And in the United Nations, there were second thoughts, like the situation is totally out of control. Maybe we made a mistake for voting for this partition plan. And there was already like talk in the air that, okay, Maybe another solution needs to be to, to come up to, to happen. And uh, Ben Gurion was of the mind: No, the gate is open. If we don't go through now, who knows what they'll decide a week from now or two weeks from now, or what will happen two weeks now? And for a while, a majority of his colleagues disagreed with him. It was like, there's no way we're going to win this. And like, it looks really bad. Like, what's the point of declaring a Jewish state? Let's wait. Maybe something better will work out. Maybe peacekeepers, this, that. And Ben Gurion, like, really with the force of his, really, neshama, said, no. Like, it's like, it's like now or never. we got to do it now. You know, you know he's still man. His name was David Yosef. Oh yeah? David Yosef. Really? Oh, that's awesome. David Yosef. So, do you see how this principle from Yosef to the Maccabees to our own day motivated at like key moments. Like key moments. It's also, ah, it's beautiful. This is what Mordechai says to Esther. This is what Mordechai says to Esther. Esther says, 
I can't go in to see the king. I'm not called. I could have my head chopped off. I can't do it. I, you just can't do it. And he said, like, this is it. This is it. Salvation will come from another place. But who knows if you and your family will be saved. And then she went for it. So it's the same idea. It's like sometimes when the when the opportunity is there, if 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 you don't grab it, it could be gone. But Yosef also thought he had that opportunity when the baker and the and the wine pour wine steward for the for Paro asked asked him to interpretate, uh, interpret his dreams. So you would have thought, that's the opportunity Hashem sending him. Go for it. Get out of prison. You know, put in a good word for me with Paro. But he's punished for that because he didn't depend on Hashem. So it's like, it's, it must have been hard to, to be in this ah. position to know when the opportunity okay. is there. Yeah. So that's a very good point. He had to wait another two years, but in the end it worked. Because it was the butler who spoke to Paro about him. So it did work, but obviously there was some very fine, 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 fine level of spirituality that Yosef didn't totally depend on God and really thought maybe it's the butler who has the power. He obviously didn't really think that, but just maybe just a little bit that, okay, he spent two more years, but in the end, it worked. In the end, it worked. So, we should all have doors open up for us. And we should all know when to walk through. But the truth is, your, your observation is very well put. Because sometimes, sometimes we have opportunities. And it appears, let's just charge through the door and it ends up a disaster. So, um, I guess Rav Shalom has a lot on my mind tonight because I'm quoting him a lot. I usually do, but not so much. But one time, you've heard this, um, this is unbelievable. I once asked Rav Shlomo, if anyone's been to the Moshal, so it was in the little forest behind the, the shul. And I said to him, Rav Shlomo, is that I think I wasn't asking him theoretically. I think there was something in my life that this was like a practical question. I said, how do you know the difference between like this concept that, um, no, no, excuse me, excuse me. I said, let's say you, you decide on a goal or you start a project or you're trying to accomplish something and halfway through you, there's all this opposition. Everything gets hard and, and difficult. And I said, how do you know if that's a sign from God telling you better to stop now? And he's sending a sign don't, not to continue. It's not a good idea. Or is it like Rabbi Nachman said, that if you're doing something good in this world, if there's no opposition, maybe it's not so good. Rabbi Nachman thrived in opposition. You notice when people opposed him, he, it, it, wasn't like, it wasn't like he took it lightly and it felt good, but he would say, ah, it must mean that what I'm doing is so holy 
that I have to keep doing it because if not, there would be no opposition. So I said to Reb Shalom, how do you know the difference? How do you know that when everything's falling apart, this is a sign to stop or redouble your efforts? And I remember Rav Shlomo, like, he started chuckling, and he was looking up at Shemayim, and I'll never forget, his, his eyes literally rolled back in his head. <laughs> he was like, no, he was like, so deep in thought, and after like, like two minutes, he says, the truth is, for this kind of question, you need prophecy. And for this kind of prophecy, you just have to pray. Because there's, you just have to pray. Because like sometimes like you really don't know. That, that's the point you're making. Sometimes opportunity knocks, but it's really a test. And you're really not meant to go through that door. And I'll give you an example. You know, when a person prays, or is it a sheer one? If I said, you know, God doesn't tell me clear words, or don't do it. So what's the point of praying? Because I don't get a message, do it or don't do it. Do you get that message from God? Clearly, in English, do it or don't do it? Do you? To be honest? Yeah, honest. Honest? Of course, honest. I, <laughs> I don't hear the words. Yeah. But I get the feeling. Yeah. Okay. Not the usually not the usually after davening yeah. many, many times. Yeah. Something becomes clear. Do it this way. I do not hear God's voice. <laughs> no claims. No claims whatsoever. No, but sometimes. No, but sometimes it's yeah. clear to me yeah. that this is. Do it or don't. Yeah. 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 Yes. And what else do you do in, in case you, you daven? When you ask for guidance, you ask for clarity, you ask for, yeah, that's why I, I mean, I doubt for guidance and clarity. Yeah. Well, make, it clear, please, uh, make it clear, please. Make it clear. Go ahead and use a magic eight ball. <laughs> it pops up. I, yeah. I heard two explanations yeah. of, of biblical incident after something in Europe. So, so when, when uh, Asa, Asa, uh, meets Yaakov, and then Dina is there, and, and, and he hides in the box with right. cameras and nails, so she shouldn't see him. So one commentary said, if, if he would have allowed her to marry him, he would have changed for the better. Yeah. And then I heard another explanation from Rabbi, I guess I'll quote him, because they say to say something, you should quote it. He, like, no, said, he was right, but where was he wrong? Because he hammered it too hard. Who he should have said, who is he? No, we should have he was wrong because he handled it too hard. He should have said, Chaval, that, that, that I have to do this. So anyway, but the commentary that I saw was playing to like the membership, that he should have allowed him to marry. So, so I, I was, my obvious question is like, excuse me? <laughs> I mean, we're talking about a murder or a rapist. So I don't, 
And the Arisa said there's not just 70 faces to the Torah, there's 600,000 faces to the Torah for every archetypal soul that exists among the Jewish people. So there's room for, for both interpretations. There's room for a place where he wants to protect his daughter. Right, that's he didn't do such a great job afterwards, though. Look what happened with Shechem. Oh, that's right. And then the commentary says Shechem happened because he hid her from Israel. Right. Yeah. There was a commentary that says yeah. it. Yeah. But, but, yeah. but his pharaoh was, you know, no, was you, want, you want to protect your children. You want to keep them off of Ben Yehuda Street in the middle of the night. You know, you want to keep them safe. You yeah. Know. The on one hand, on the other hand, you know, maybe if they went there, they would influence everybody else for the good. Yeah. There's, yeah. Where, there's this place where you convey trust in your children. <laughs> And you you believe in them so strongly that you've given them the right foundation. You've, they have this powerful neshama that they can take care of themselves. Not only that, but they can influence other people for the good. So that's maybe where we all want to go with that. Yeah. I think that I, I, I agree with my wife. I think that Midrash is telling us that there was a place in Esau that could have done tshuva. Uh, that could have done tshuva. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he is from Yitzhak and Rivka. Yeah, he is. All right, so... Okay. Yeah, yeah. Did he embraced his brother uh, Yaakov and, and wept, and when, in spite of the, the famous extra dots over the over the word uh, embraced or kissed, right. the, the shot of it is that he put aside his hatred of his brother, and they were they were reunited in fraternal affection. Some interpret the dots as sincerity. Actually, no. Actually, if you look at Rashi, there's an incredible Rashi. That, actually, it's true because Esav, Esav and Yaakov come together to bury Yitzhak. And since everything in the Torah is archetypal, it's telling us that one day Yaakov and Esav will come together. They'll come together. But I did, oh, yeah, one second, I just, want to, I just want to tell him. Yeah, go on. Did Yitzhak and Ishmael do the exact same thing forever? Yes, right. Both of them. So the Yitzhak and Ishmael come together, and Esau and Yaakov come together. So we should get hope from that. But there's an amazing Rashi on what you just said. In the Gomorrah, Shimon by, Shimon by Yochai, Said Halachahi Esav Soneid Yaakov. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai said it's like a spiritual law. Esav hates Yaakov, and yet it's Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. Look at Rashi. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai is the one who says that the dots over he embraced him is to tell us that at that moment it was totally sincere. The same person who says that Asa, like, it's just, that's what it is. But he was the one who said that at that moment, he was totally sincere. Something happened to him, 
Live sincere. And that should give us hope also. Okay.
Ahayin, ahayin. Ahayin, ahayin. It's a dulcimer. Dulcimer. I don't know if you can see the wood in the back. You see that? It's beautiful. It's rose with thick water, isn't it? Um, I don't know. My wife got it for me for uh, our wedding gift. <laughs> that was my wedding gift. Can I make a quick and I have to leave in a little bit about a shield that's happening later today? Yeah, please. Yeah? Yeah. If anyone is going to be up, I hope I'm going to be up at 4 o'clock this morning, 4 a.m. We go to the Rafi, we learn to the here. <coughs> and for the share on the internet, it's cityoflose.com. Cityoflose, one word. Cityoflose.com. One word. And starting at 4 a.m., there's going to be a, a shiur on an extremely esoteric topic. I don't say any more. Can you disclose the topic? Yes, I can. Go ahead. It's going to be on the issue of Hanotsu. All right, it's All uh, right. Kratzmachi. Tonight is it's Christmas Eve. It's my grandmother's Eve. birthday. <laughs> today is Christmas Day. Oh, it's today. Oh, it's last night? It's mostly Christmas. Yeah, it's mostly Oh. I, I heard from... I, uh, I missed it completely. <laughs> I heard from Rabbi Foyer that we don't hold by uh, those Christians. We hold by the Greek Orthodox and the Russian <laughs> <laughs> Christians. So it's not a problem learning Torah. It's all about a nice Jewish boy who got a little hung up. <laughs> okay. Another. If you can't make it till 4 o'clock this morning, so I will try to give over an esoteric idea now. <laughs> okay, this is actually a very. I just I hope I can pull it off in just a few minutes. You need more time. Yeah. As long as people yeah. want to stay. First of all, those people who are not sitting at the table. There's mm-hmm. drink. There's food. Please, please. Do I, oh, you have? Okay. Yeah, maybe they just need that because they have vegetables and that's what they have. They have. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, I have a little Hanukkah story before we're, while we're gearing up for the esoteric secret. <laughs> um, it's about the power of, of one mitzvah. You never know which mitzvah is going to save your life. So the story is that there was a businessman who was traveling on the trains through Europe, and he's sitting in he's sitting in a, the car with the. With, you know where the wealthy people sit and you know he's trying to relax and unwind it's been a long business trip very successful and his his bags are you know filled with with contracts of uh, you know this big business deals and and uh, he notices these two like uh, kind of rough characters getting in sitting into the, the the seats next to him and they keep looking over at him and kind of whispering to each other and he gets this really uneasy feeling so he gets up and he goes into a more crowded car that has, you know, the poor people with their baskets filled with um, live chickens and fruits and vegetables and babies crying and 
and he tries to get comfortable there, but it's so noisy, and you know, he's just uneasy the whole time. So finally, you know, he, he feels like he's shaken these two criminal-looking types, and and he gets off the train at his stop, and, and it's it's you know it's really dark already, and he has to run home quickly and and light his Hanukkah candles. And he lives out in the forest, you know, in a kind of isolated place. And, you know, he doesn't really have time to look over his shoulder very much. He just knows he has to get home quickly and light the candles. He gets into his house, and he, he, lights, he lights his menorah, and uh, he takes a breath. And then he hears crashing, and someone is breaking through, through the windows and climbing into his house. And before he knows it, he's, you know, he's being tied up and tied to the chair and gagged and, you know, like forced into to leading these, these two same guys who had obviously followed him through the forest to, to show him where his safe is. And as he's taking them through the house and, show, you know, about to take them where, where the safe is located, he hears music and tambourines and drums in the, in the distance. And it's getting closer and it's coming to his house. And he can't believe it. And the, these two criminals, they, they also hear it, and they run away. And he's like sitting, you know, sitting there. He's still like gagged and, 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 and tied up. But he's, this whole entourage of people come into his house. And they say like, what happened to you? Are you all right? You know, how can we help you? And they untie him, and, they, and he takes a breath and finally explains like what happened and how he was followed. And, and, and they said like, you know, we didn't know exactly where you lived. We knew that you lived somewhere out in the forest here, and if it hadn't been for your kankia in the window, we wouldn't have known that you lived here at all. Because it's not a place where there's a lot, so many Jews living. I said, like, I can't believe it. I totally forgot. I said, yeah, we came to invite you to Rav Moshe's daughter's wedding. That a long time ago, you gave him a very nice, generous donation to help. We gave you a, you gave a generous donation to help Rav Moshe to marry off his daughter. And but on the caveat that you would be invited to the wedding, and so Moshe like remembered it was almost like you know the the ceremony was about to begin, and he's looking around, he sees you're not here, so he sent us his you know to bring you to the wedding, and so he said thank you so much, you've literally saved my life. <coughs> Who knows what it would have happened if these these two creeps would have stayed here in the house with me any longer. <laughs> And so, you never know, this giving of tzedakah, the lighting of the Hanukkah, one mitzvah can save your life. So it blesses all that we should do all the mitzvah with simcha and with hope. You never know what the spin-off effect is going to be. Just, just trust in Hashem. Amen. Amen. Okay, so actually I just thought of a good song to sing. Um, it's a really great song for harmony. So, once you pick it up...
probably take a long time to develop properly, but here goes nothing. Oh, here goes everything. <laughs> okay, so for those who have uh, the dream book, so you remember this, that when Yosef interprets the dreams of the butler and the baker, so each one of them had dreams about three. The, the butler was three uh, grapevines and the butler was three baskets and then when it came to Paro it was seven cows, uh, fat cows and then seven lean cows and then seven uh, grains and seven grains. So when the interpreters of Egypt gave their interpretations so they took the numbers and interpreted them as objects like there were two interpretations this is given over in tradition as they said to him you'll have six you'll have seven daughters and you'll bury seven daughters and the second opinion was, is you'll conquer seven nations, and then seven nations will conquer you. So in other words, they took the numbers, because they were, there were seven cows, there were seven objects, and they interpreted them as objects, symbolically. These also came true, right, these interpretations? Or no, no, they, they no, no. I'm just pointing out the way they interpret it from object to object. But if you notice, in all four interpretations, Yosef interprets numbers and objects as time. He says to the butler, three grapevines means three days. In three days, Paro will return you to your position. And so the bakery said three um, baskets are three days. And remember, a bird came down and ate from the baskets. And in three days, God will, uh, Paro will hang you. And they came true. And then to Paro, the same thing. The seven cows, he interpreted seven years. And the seven grains is also seven years. He said it's the same dream. So the secret here is, and I'm not going to like go into it in great depth, but what Yosef saw, his, his wisdom, was he saw the connection of time and space. Space meaning objects, objects in space. Now this is not an obvious connection. And as I mentioned before, it took until Einstein to reveal that time and space are intrinsically woven together. Before that, it was like apples and oranges. You have time and you have space, you have objects. Like, what's the connection? Einstein showed that, that there, 
intrinsically connected. But Yosef, that's how he interpreted the dreams. This is not my Torah, this is Rob Ginsburg's Torah. He said, that's what Yosef saw. He could, see, he could translate space into time. Yeah. Before you said that like space, matter, is uh, thick and light, mm -hmm. do we have any statement anywhere that says what time is in terms of... Well, that's what I'm going to get into right now. Okay, great. Right? But it's not, it's not so much um, from the Gomorrah of the Zohar, it's, from, it's, from, it's basically from Ralph Ginsberg. So, there, so, so this is like a, a very deep secret about the Parsha. So I want to connect it to Hanukkah because th there's a very uh, uh, deep Indian when they set the holiday of Hanukkah. According to tradition in the Gemara, see at Purim time, as soon as they won, well it was a one day war, and in Shushan it was a two day war. So we had the six day war, they had the one day war. Truthfully, it, was, it all happened on the 13th of Adar, they won, and on the 14th they made a feast. And they gave pre everyone gave presents to everyone, and in other words, the holiday like spontaneously happened on the spot. And, and, and the sages came, just came along and said, whoa, this is like, what a great formula, right? We'll make a holiday. But by Hanukkah we're told it happened very differently. That, that when the miracle of the, of the oil happened, like they didn't know from day to day that the oil would continue. And it was just, it wasn't until it was over that they realized that it was like a miracle. It was the same thing with Purim. It wasn't until everything happened that people started like connecting the dots and saying, oh my gosh, look what just happened here. Like this happened in the, yeah. During the actual time, like on the fifth day, oh. when this mm -hmm. little flask was still burning, they didn't realize it was a miracle? No, no. It was, you know, every day it was kind of like, well, maybe there was more oil than we thought. And isn't that interesting? It's still burning. And, you know, have you ever, like, burnt a Yurtsa candle and it's like expected to go out and the next day it's still burning? And it's like, so, but the point is, they didn't make the holiday on the spot. It says in the Gemara they waited till the next year. And what did they wait for? This is the key point. They, they wanted to see, not to see, to feel if that, en if that special energy was in the air on the 25th of Kislev. And when they felt the special energy, they set the holiday. They said, okay, now it's like for real. We know it's for real. The energy has like returned. So it's given over that there are three ways we could look at time. <coughs> we can look at time as being linear. It just runs. And it, it never returns. Once and, 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 and there's a beauty to say take advantage of every moment because once it's gone it will never return or let's say you know like Shabbos is coming tomorrow like this Shabbos will never happen again 
So we should take advantage of it. So there's a certain aspect where time is linear and it doesn't return. It just keeps going. Then there's another, and these, remember, all, all three of these concepts don't uh, contradict each other. They're all true. There's aspects of each one. The next one is a circle. Now this we experience in what's called the cycle of the year. The seasons, our birthday, our anniversary, and the holidays return every year. So when it comes to Hanukkah, because that's, a, that's what I'm trying to get to here, it's it, the linear expression of time doesn't work because when, when it comes around again, that energy of Hanukkah is here. And when Shabbos comes every week, it's in the air. There's something circular about time. And then there's, in a sense, the most developed idea is time as a spiral, which really connects the first two ideas. It connects because a spiral doesn't return like a circle over and over again in the same um, form. A spiral infinitely goes up, infinitely goes up. So the going up is the linear, but a spiral is circular. And it will return to the same spot except one step higher. So now this is a very beautiful understanding of time, and I think everyone experiences. Let's just talk about Hanukkah. Like when we light our Hanukkah lights, at some point during Hanukkah, we get like a flood of memories. Like, you know, when our kids were eight years old, right, how they used to play around the Hanukkah, when I was eight years old. And it's, it's, like, an, it's like a natural thing. The feelings of Hanukkah bring back all these memories and emotions. So that's the idea of the spiral. So in other words, let's say, if you can follow, let's say here, my finger here, this is Hanukkah on the point of the, of the circle. So the way the spiral works, is, it's like this. It goes around and then it comes back to here. And the next year, it's here. It's on the same like vortex as all the other Hanukkahs. And so, we, in a sense, we cut through time by envisioning it as a spiral. So therefore, all of the Hanukkahs that we've experienced, and you could even plug into previous lifetimes, all of Am Yisrael, you know, we feel is maybe the strongest of all is Seder night. Like when you sit down at Seder, uh, I know different people have different minhagim, but my wife makes basically the same menu every Pesach. And with every bite, like all these memories, like of every other Pesach, just, it just floods back. 
Because the soup tastes exactly the same. I mean, this is a total compliment. A total, believe me, it's a total compliment. But you taste in that soup every other Pesach. It's amazing. It's the egg noodles. <laughs> okay, so this is one of the secrets of watching the Hanukkah candles. So I said it for people who came in late. The, the, the most important thing to take away from tonight is to sit by your Hanukkah candles and meditate on them. Because what happens, because the secret of time, that we're talking, and I'm not going to get into it too much, but in physics, the secret of time is intrinsically connected to the reality of light. And in quantum physics, Light is intrinsically woven with the reality of time. So when we connect to light, automatically it's, it's, a, it's a gateway into time. Yeah? Uh, last night I was in a show with Rav Foyer, and he was saying that the menorah, which is what the Hanukkah, in a way, is uh, mm -hmm. representing the Ner Tami, which today for us is the Shamash. He said that uh, was a symbol of the Shekhinah's presence and was a form of uh, a dude for the world to, to let the world know that the Jewish people had Hashem's presence among us. Mm -hmm. And so when you talk about uh, time and being cutting through time, that's kind of like what a Ner Tamid is in the way that Hashem, the Shekhinah, mm -hmm. never left Harbait, mm -hmm. never left. Uh, even after the destruction, mm -hmm. and that it's always present, it's like it's transcending time, mm -hmm. that, that also expresses that cyclical nature that you were describing. Yes, exactly. Very much. Very, very and much. He, and he, used, he, he went into developing the idea that the Shekhinah is represented by the menorah. And then when they described the five things that were lost in the destruction mm -hmm. of Bayit Sheni, they interchanged menorah with Shekhinah. Mm -hmm. Very nice, very nice. So this. Uh, this is kind of where I'm, where I'm going with this, because the when we when we stare at the candles, so we're told, and there's a million things we can meditate on, but the primary verse we're told to meditate on is Ner Hashem Nishmat Adam. The candle of God is the soul of man. Ner Hashem Nishmat Adam. If you remember in the beginning, I said that when you look into the candles, you see a mirror of your own soul. And then when you see a mirror of your own soul, it's a, it's a mirror of the spark of God. Now, we know that God is infinite and eternal. And since the soul is a chalak me'alokami ma'al mamash, is an actual part of God above, so there's something about the soul which is also eternal and infinite. So this idea of eternal is very, very connected to light. Because, David could quote me a hundred times now, at the speed of light, time, no time passes. This is a, a phenomena of, of physics that, that 
baffles the human logic. What this means, how to translate that. But at the speed of light, no time passes. And if no time passes, in a sense, it's what we call the eternal present. So when we're staring at the, at the Hanukkah lights, like there's two gates there. There's the gate of the eternity of the soul and the, and the gate of the eternity of time. And it says in the Midrash that when God wanted to create the world, I'll, I'll tell you two Midrashes. It says, Yisrael Allah b'machshavah t'chilah the, the thought of Israel arose in God's mind first. And the other midrash is, is that when God wanted to create the world, He asked the souls of the tzaddikim, should I create the world? So the obvious question is, what tzaddikim? This is before God has created anything. There is no world, there is no time, there is no space, there are no angels, there are no souls. Who is he asking? So the answer is, the Midrash is recording an internal dialogue. In this case, like a monologue that God is having with himself because the future souls of the tzaddikim are within God. So this is like one of the most special places we can connect to on Hanukkah is touching that eternity, touching that infiniteness. Even, even if it's a moment, it's, uh, it's, it's just so special. So, God, so this is still an inner monologue in God. Okay, so actually, in, if you remember, in the, in the dream book, Yitzhak of Homo explains that there are four worlds of, in Kabbalah. Asiyah, Yitzirah, Vriyah, Va'atzilut. But the, the, the reason I reveal there's really a fifth higher world called Adam Kadmon. And Rabbi Yitzhak of Hamal explained that in Adam Kadmon, as it were, God is dreaming the world into existence. Adam Kadmon is God's dream. And today's the last day of uh, Kislev, the, the meter of sleep, which is the essence of dreaming. Right, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Tonight's also the fifth light of Hanukkah. We were talking about that. Yeah, there's, there's, there's something very special about tonight. The fifth light of Hanukkah in Chabad, they make a big deal about the fifth night. Why? Is because, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure I understand this correctly, the only candle of Hanukkah that can never fall out on Shabbat is the fifth night. Every other candle can be on Shabbos. But as you know, many of the holidays can only fall on certain days. Like Pesach will always fall on 
like five of the seven days, but there's like like two days, I, I don't know this exactly, but all of the holidays have days that it can fall on and days that it, it can never fall on. So one of the things about Hanukkah is that the fifth light can never fall on Shabbos. So in Chabad, because the whole idea of Hanukkah is taking the light into the greatest darkness, so the fifth candle, in a sense, represents a tremendous darkness because it never can be Shabbat, like Nebuch, <laughs> right? And yet they, they turn it around to symbolize that the fifth night, even in a space that can never be Shabbat, that light can shine. That can light, that, that light can shine. So that's the, the fifth the fifth night. Mm -hmm. So one last idea about time. We talked about three different ideas of time. Then there's another one which is like beyond the beyond. And that is in in Kabbalah, the, 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 the most mysterious word in the entire Tanakh, according to Rav Ginsburg, is the word Chashmal, which is now translated as electricity. This word only appears three times, and it's all in the vision of Ezekiel, where he describes seeing a what's usually translated as a color, but it's understood as an energy. And this energy has to do with the paradox of creation. Because according to the sages, chash mal, chash means silent, and mal means speaking. So this is a contradiction, like, are you speaking or are you silent? So the sages said, there are a type of angel called Chashmal, where sometimes they're silent and sometimes they're speaking. But Kabbalah explains that's only in this world. In the upper worlds, the silence and speech are happening at the same time. This is what Simon and Garfunkel called the sounds of silence. These are the sounds of silence. So Rav Ginsburg explains an amazing idea. Oh, thank you so much for coming. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you. Are you from Melbourne? No, from Sydney. Sydney. We hope to be there in June. Oh, I hope I can see. We're going to be in Melbourne, Bezrat Hashem, Bezrat Hashem for three weeks, and then hopefully we're coming to Sydney. I don't know where or when, but it's like the last week of Sydney, and hopefully Amanda can let you know. That'd be great. When? Nice to meet you. Okay, nice to meet you. Safe traveling. Nice to meet you. Take care. Okay. So I'm just going to finish this thought. We'll do a little bit more music. So this idea of chashmal is what's called, you might have heard, it's called ratzov v'shov. Run and return. 
Hashmal represents the dynamic pulsation of all of reality, from the physical to the spiritual. Hashmal, silent speaking, running, returning. And when you dissect reality, so this energy appears at every level, on the level of the pulse, just put your hand on the pulse, you can feel the ratso feshov, run and return. Put your hand on your heart, feel your breathing, and the point I'm going to get to now is that when you look at what light is, light is, and this is where the word quanta comes from, when we say quantum mechanics or quantum physics, quanta are packets of like photons. What light is are individual photons that give us the illusion of what I call it smoothness. The best way to describe it is uh, the way at least I don't know truthfully enough enough about digital anymore, but the way movies work for like a hundred years, or an individual, um, what do they call it? Frame. 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 Frames. 24 frames per right. second. Right, 24 frames per second is that a movie, when you, we watch a movie, and we look and everything looks like reality, normal. But if you would go and look at the movie, it's frames with, with marks in between. So that's, the pixels are like little like it's all the dots too. Okay, so you know the digital works the same way? Yeah. Okay. Okay, thank you. Thank you. So it's if if you know the movie starts to break down and go slowly, you actually see the frames. So it's explained that that's how we experience reality. Reality appears to be smooth. I'm just using that word because everything is moving smoothly, but in reality, it's all pulsating. It's it's like I said, like light is our individual packets of photons that again blend together into a wave-like appearance to make it appear like it's all happening. Now, I'm going to just go one step deeper here. So Rav Ginsburg explains like this. He explains, like, why is the world like this? So he explains like this, that God is infinite, and His energy, if we can use that such a word, at any given moment would overwhelm the world. That's why we have the ten sphere out. There has to be filters. There have to be filters. We, we cannot, that's what it says, no person can see God's face and live. We cannot, we're human beings. And even though the soul is a part of God, even the highest, clearest soul, which we we're told is Moshe, can see the face of God. So God 
cannot allow his full light to shine in the world because if he did it would overwhelm the world and the world would cease to exist. So what are we told by the Arizal? That God has to mitzamtsam, contract his energy. But if God contracts his energy too much, the world would also stop existing. Because it won't, it, it's like, plug, like an electric plug. If you pull the plug out of the wall, <laughs> like the appliance stops. So God has to find a way in which his light and energy can animate the world without overwhelming it. So Rob Ginsburg explains that what this means is at every, I'm going to say, I'm going to say a number, but it has no meaning, at every trillionth of a second, God is pouring his energy into the world and withdrawing it. So when we say yesh mi'ayin, God created the world something from nothing, the something is the rotso, and the nothing is the shof. So, the, so here's, here's the key point. Rob Ginsburg explains what is time. Time is the segment between the rotso and the shof, between God's running and returning. The segment, the frame, in between the frame is what a moment of time is. Now this is like an awesome mm -hmm. concept because just like we experience everything is flowing, so that's how we experience time. We experience time just flows. We don't perceive the frames, not in physical reality of space and not in time. But in reality, that's what's happening. On a very physical level, what physics tells us, but even deeper on a spiritual level, where the energy that physics is explaining is coming from. So, these are all, yeah. Can we talk about this? Did, does he give an uh, answer as far as how many of these happen per second? Well, you asked me that once, I never got right. that, that answer. I'll have, so to, this I'll have to try. I'll have to try that again. Yeah. Uh, could you please explain what, how, how does it manifest that time accelerates? And time accelerates, right? And toward end of time, so toward Mashiach time describing different Nabim, and so on, time will accelerate. How? And then like Yom and Lila and all will be a cut. Right. So... See, interestingly enough, there's, there's, a, there's a tremendous inverse paradox here. Because as matter speeds up, time slows down. This is a physical reality. As, as something approaches the speed of light, then time slows down. But you're very, very right that right now we're living in a time where everything is accelerating. Everything is accelerating. 
And to tell you the truth, maybe someone right now, nothing is popping into my head. But just something that Rav Steinfeld said. Yeah. He said that um, as we're approaching, as we're approaching, sure, thank you. As uh, we're approaching Shabbat, you know, you have to speed up to get everything done before candle lighting, right? <laughs> yeah. So he said, like we're approaching the, the Yom Shishi the, of of the universe from the creation. The six we're in the six thousandth millennium. So therefore, like Yoter Mihirut, Yoter Takalot. That's what Rav Steinstein said. <laughs> we're going faster, having more collisions. But you know, it, this is part of the reality. Ah, it's an excellent, excellent answer. That because. Sof that we're told that it's built into the framework of reality that this cycle, this spiral of history will last for 6,000 years. And after that, there's going to be major changes. Yom Shikulu Shabbos, Mashiach, Olam and so as we're approaching, call it the deadline, there, there's a reality of everything is speeding up. And I think because since this was set from the beginning of time, that like, like when, if you start here and you need to get here, so the whole time you're going along, right? But as you get close to your your goal, all of a sudden you get m much more strength. That's what I'm saying. So what I'm relating to is Ne'ilah of Yom Kippur. The Yom Kippur is going, right? And you get to the midday, and, and like you know, like things are slowing down. You're 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 really hungry. You know, you're in shul all day, but then you see the light. You see that you're about to start Ni'ila, so all of a sudden you get this incredible burst of energy. Incredible burst of energy. And people daven like... So I think it's the same thing with what's happening now. Is what The world is, is programmed towards a certain end. And we're getting towards that end so that there's a draw. It's pulling. It's pulling reality towards it that we didn't experience when you were in the middle, because you're pulled from the beginning and the end. But as this is what I'm, I'm flashing on. Don't know if it's. That's certainly not the only answer. Yeah. Do you think that I mean, there's a part to where the tikkun that we do within our own within our own souls that it kind of um, hastens, in a way, the dynamic or, or ability or awareness of the dynamic at play. In other words, that maybe we are partaking of maybe daily or yearly more of a pure form of worship to Hashem and in our Masin, that we are living in the eternal present, as you say, and that where there is no time with Hashem, whilst we're not Hashem, mm -hmm. we have a peace, and that we transcend or we we, we ascend, you know, hopefully. Absolutely, absolutely. Absolutely. As we get closer to the end, the purpose and the tachlid of every soul starts drawing it. That's, 
the whole thing of, of, of Gilgal, and that's why it says in the Gemara that Mashiach can't come until all of the Mishamas that have to be in this world are all here at the same time. All of the all of the souls have to have to come back because we're all being drawn towards this 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 end like a magnet, like a magnet. But I have to give more thought to it. So it's it's, it's a very good question. Yeah, also how, how the Ratzol, the show is happening at that time. Yes. <laughs> Speeding up. Yeah. 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 The, the pace of change now is astounding. The pace of how things are changing so quickly. That, I mean, I, don't, I, don't, I mean, some people are calling it the, 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 the miracle of Hanukkah that you know, two months ago, you know, oil was $147 a barrel, and now it reached $37. No, but but it's a kind of a world where it's just things are just just you know. I mean, it used to be like there was a couple of people in the world who were billionaires, but now the news is like every other day that. This company lost a billion, and this company lost ten billion, and this individual caught, you know, did uh, fifty billion, and like it's just like it's just everything is just so. Our neighbors were still plowing their fields with oxen. I mean, it's it's astounding how the world has changed. How it was the same, the same, the same for thousands of years, and then. They moved up the horses. <laughs> Horsepower. Okay, so I want to. First of all, a couple of things. First, of all, I want to. I want to thank Moshe again. Just um, your wife and your right. daughters. Opening, opening your house. Allow us to have the space. Please, thank you very much. It's uh, it's a big bracha for us that we could be here. You know, hopefully, we're a big bracha for you. And um, everyone should know that this actually happens every Thursday night. We don't have quite as many lachayans, right? <laughs> and I usually don't bring my dulcimer, but we do sing. But we do sing, and but we do learn Torah. And but just uh, if I don't have your email, um, please make sure I have your email because every once in a while we don't have a class. Like two weeks from now, we will not have a class because we have a wedding that we we have to be at. But basically, the next few months we're we're on. Like every Thursday, but if I don't have your email, please make sure that I have it. I'll put you on the right list. So if we don't have a class, I'll let you know. Um, also, if anyone's interested in any Hanukkah gifts, there's some books over there. People could take um, take some Hanukkah gifts home. And uh, I just want to end with a bracha. Actually, you want to say something? Yeah. Thursday night usually. Women's night in the kitchen. So, is there a chance that we can move the class for early Wednesday or maybe Wednesday night? We actually tried to move it to Wednesday night this year for that exact reason. That reason, but because in this neighborhood there's there were two other classes happening on Wednesday night, um, and Tuesday night I'm teaching in another place. Monday night, we'll, we'll consider it. We, we have considered, we know that that's a problem. We know that it's a problem. 
So it used to be for years I was busy every Monday night, um, at also teaching. And Sunday night I, I had other responsibilities at the Moshav, which um, very soon I won't be having anymore. Yay! <laughs> so things might change. So just make sure I have your email, and then things might change, and I could let you know. Okay? Um, I just want to end with a bracha, bracha for all of us, that first of all, we really do need some miracles here. Mm -hmm. the, uh, the world, the, the Am Yisrael needs, the world needs, I'm sure every individual here also needs a few miracles that that we should all be blessed that miraculous things will happen for us Hashem will, will come to our aid as He always has that uh, the darkness will be filled with light that our enemies will stop being enemies and hopefully someday friends so that's also a dream that many people have, right? Mm -hmm. On one hand, we do, we do want to wipe out our enemies. I have no problem with that. But also there's a part of me that's like, I would like to dream that our enemies sometime will become friends. And we won't have to think about wiping out anyone. Mm -hmm. But as long as the energy of Amalek is in the world, we, we don't have much choice. We don't have much choice, but we should see great miracles. We should see light in our lives. Um, I bless everyone to sit by your candles the last few days and let the light pour into our neshamas. Let it just, just wash us clean and give us inspiration and all see good things. have a little bit heat for the roots also, it's probably a good half an hour. But at that time, it's totally bright daylight. Ah. Is that, can we still light the Hanukkah candles and have all the heat for the roots? Yeah. Talk about the dark and the light, and the sun is right outside. Right. Okay, so first thing, you should know that you're supposed to light your Hanukkah candles first. And then the Shabbos candles, especially for especially for women, because once women light the the, the Shabbos candles, they're already in Shabbos. So we so we light the Hanukkah. No, so you're you're right. We we have like we have no choice, but so the the solution is that these little half an hour candles are not sufficient to light Arab Shabbos. You have to light candles that last at least an hour. So usually those big skinny ones will last an hour or the big Shabbos ones. 
for the same reason that you're saying, because that light has to go into the darkness. It has to go into the dark. Now you should know that what's called Shastachak, if you're in a tight place, you're taking a plane, and you're leaving your house at 3.30 in the afternoon, and you're going to have no other opportunity to light, you're allowed to light at 3.30. You're allowed to light even in the light, but that's what's called in an emergency situation. So Shabbos, just the important thing is make sure that the candles will burn a minimum of an hour. That's no problem. I have oil and yeah. really big cups. Mm -hmm. The problem is, when do I do my for the food over the light and the dark? When it's bright light? No, no, no. The, no, see, there's another minhag. There's another minhag that many, many shuls daven mincha early. Do not daven mincha at the usual time around sunset. Go daven at like 1 o'clock so that people can sit by their candles and then afterwards, as it's getting dark, depending on each shul, then go to shul and daven Kabbalah Shabbat. So you still will have time. You still, again, it depends on your shul. I can't speak for your shul. But it, it should be that you have enough time. So even, even if you light it in the light, you can do all of your, your hitboda do it in your meditations, and then you go to shul, and the lights will continue to burn. That's also okay. That's also okay. No. 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 Thank you. No. 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 Okay. Hug Hug